0: welcome to the friendship news hour presented to you by bummer dude media today is september the 6th 2023 my name is Frank. His name is alex
1: you can hear me clearly now hi dude how's that it's been a while dude you yeah last four weeks have been rough on the audio spectrum for you frankie
0: well, that's what happens when you travel
1: it's got to feel good to be home
0: dude it feels so good to be home to get back in the rhythm i can't tell you how good it feels i take it for granted mm-hmm. like hardcore took it for granted uh, uh what a routines like and I think it took having a kid to really appreciate what a
1: routine does for a person. Or how much it fucks you up when you're out of your routine.
0: Yeah. Well, and <laughs> and me for sure, but I can handle it. But the baby, oh my God, man, it feels so bad. I feel so bad every time he wakes up in the middle of the night or he's screaming and crying. I just know it's because we've been on the move all the time. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to just kind of like piecemeal his his
1: routine. Yeah. Not ideal, man. Not ideal, Not ideal for a baby. I have to imagine that. You had some good fam time though. Saw some, some friends and everything. It was probably a good trip. Truly bittersweet mm-hmm.
0: feeling good to be back here. But yeah, I mean, staying at my mom's and my grandma made a comment. She like the day before we left, she goes, Oh, what are we going to do without your, without your uh, laugh here? And I was like, ah, oh, shit. Grandma. <laughs> like, damn, that sucks. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was good. It was good to see family and Sister got married and he got to be a part of it. So that was, it was all good.
1: Okay. I was, I was going to ask you, there was your sister, that, that was one of the weddings you guys went to? You betcha. That's amazing, man. What's that like yeah. watching your sister get married? That's scary thoughts for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it was fine. I mean, she's been with her fellow for a long time. Okay. Um, cool. And it was at my mom's house. So it was pretty low key. Oh, nice. Uh, that's in the yeah, backyard so it was there. really cool.
1: Mm hmm. Nice. Still yeah. well gardened.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. They did a really good job. Nice, dude. Um, backyard looked amazing. It was magical. We had a, uh, taco truck of sorts nice Uh,
1: they definitely kept it cheap that's the way to do it man
0: no i don't know how cheap it was i guess it's cheaper than you know going to a hall and catering it but yeah it was delicious it's fantastic all in all a great great time but super happy to be back and experience a true fall for the first time in
1: almost 10 years Quite a while. It's finally starting, dude. The weather is like finally... Today, I think it's supposed to be like the last day in like the upper 80s here. And then it's just 70s and below like the rest of what I can see in like the 15 day or whatever.
0: The old Indian summer, Alfred. Native American summer, Frank. It's a great song by Brooks and Dunn. What is it? What is the feeling? Can you put it in words? Can you verbalize what that feeling is of fall?
1: Yeah. It's called not sweating when you walk outside. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's a great feeling. Yeah.
0: It is, it is a great, it is a great feeling. Yeah, it it not only does the weather cool down, but it gets less, uh, it's like less humid.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, air is like crisp.
0: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It it dries out some. Mm -hmm. But what is the, the the feeling I'm talking about, the emotional reaction I have to fall, it's it's like a feeling of like great nostalgia and
1: reminiscence. It's got, football's got to be tied into that.
0: Football's definitely plays a part into it, right? It's the beginning of the season I guess it's like all the things that happen in succession in the fall that kind of bring, bring you back mm-hmm. maybe to being a kid. I didn't even experience fall as a kid, but you got football starting, you got school starting, you got Halloween coming up and then the holidays
1: following. Baseball playoffs for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Baseball playoffs. But I don't know. Like it's, I don't know. It's different. It's a different feeling when you like walk out and you like, it, it's a little chilly and the sun starting to set a little later and the leaves turn. I don't know what it is. Maybe somebody who's listening can, can describe it or or like help me verbalize what that emotional reaction is to fall. But I haven't it in a long time. And when I came back to New York after being gone for so long, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I got emotional about it. Really? Yeah. It was really weird. Like I didn't expect it at all. I was driving back from the grocery store and it was just me Jack was at home with the kid and I just felt this like overwhelming sensation come over me and it wasn't like happy, but it wasn't sad either. I honestly, I don't even know how to explain it.
1: This might be a dumb question, but like in, when you live in California, like do, do you have like a changing of the seasons? Like do do the leaves change or certain plants or trees like die or is it just like year round all vegetations alive and like pretty much always the same?
0: No, we get, we get some leaves changing in like November, December. Okay. Because it's when it's when it starts to the leaves change out here because of when it starts to get cooler at night and that's what causes the leaves to change and then fall. It it doesn't start to get that cold overnight until the late late fall early winter and then and then that's like our our fall basically. Gotcha. Some leaves change, some leaves fall. It's not very big,
1: but it's not like impactful like when you're driving down the road in New York or wherever and you just see no. all shades no. of orange and brown. It's the best, dude. It, it, it is, is the best, best man. And hoodie weather, you really the best. something.
0: Yeah, it's tremendous. Um, I'm very excited to be here. Excited for the kid to be around. Piles of leaves, get to throw them in. It's going to be fun.
1: You know what's not fun? What's that? This happened to me today, Frank. That's why we were a little delayed. You know when you're taking a shit and... <laughs> I do. It was such I I don't want to say an emergency to get in there, but you were walking briskly to get in there and you didn't check to see if there was enough toilet paper to get you through to the end goal. You know, you just did your business and then you go... you go. It's, a sec, it's an afterthought. And you go mm-hmm. to look and you're like, Oh, shit literally. That's, that's what delayed me. So I, I was curious, I wanted to ask you, I'll share my strategy, but when that happens and nobody's home, like it happened to me today, what do you do? And the, let's say toilet paper is clear across the house, not, not under the sink like it should be.
0: I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a complicated question.
1: You just have get a method? up and You
0: get toilet paper. You
1: just get up. Okay. See, I use my last remaining strands because I'm always worried that the poop will then rub between the patox cheeks, you know, and then you just created a bigger problem for yourself when you return. So. I use my last strand of toilet paper, kind of plug the situation, you know, plug the dam, and then I can walk around freely. But then you're just walking out, wang out around your house. It's a little awkward.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd love to apologize to everybody listening (laughs) for this segue
1: that was unplanned. Oh, I planned it. I was sitting there. I'm like, I got to bring this up.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's that's not complicated. And I think we've solved no
1: issues. (laughs) Fair enough. I was just curious if you had another methodology, that's all.
0: No, I do not. This uh, <laughs> this next thing I was going to go into seems absolutely uh, inconsequential, <laughs> given what uh, just transpired. Uh, Wall Street Journal's out with their uh, new rankings of colleges. Nice. Okay. And they rank them based on. It's pretty interesting. They they. There's student input and and things like that, but they rank them based off of the earnings above a high school graduate's yearly salary for top-ranked colleges. Okay. So basically, you've displaced a high school graduation with a top university's graduation. That move, what what is the payoff for that? But essentially, is what they're asking. Oh, I, you know, I apologize. That's not how they rank it, but they do show the, the number next to it. So they have the ranking, and then they show the number of what your your yearly salary would be above a high school graduate's yearly salary. Okay. So, number one, you want to take a guess? Harvard?
1: Harvard's number six. Wow, okay. I would think all them lawyers. Shit, I'm trying to think. You're of like on the a, right track. I'm Maybe, so it's lawyers? It's not like doctors? It's whoever. Okay. Whoever goes to the school. I'm just, I'm thinking those got to be the two highest paid professions. So, I'm trying to think of the schools in that world. Uh, Columbia? Columbia's five. Five. Okay, I'm zoning in. Normally, I'm way off with my guesses. Princeton Tiger's number one. Really? Okay, I wouldn't have got there.
0: Princeton, number one. And if you go to Princeton, you'll earn $82,000 above a high school graduate's yearly salary. Wow. Um, Number two, MIT. If you go to MIT, you think of MIT, you think of like engineers, Mm -hmm. robotics, AI, technology. You'll earn $94,000 above High school graduates' yearly salary. Number three, Yale, and it's funny because it, 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 Yale's earnings above a high school graduate's uh, yearly salary is only sixty-six thousand, only sixty-six thousand, close to sixty-seven thousand. But it, you know, it's significantly lower than Princeton, MIT. Uh, number four, Stanford. It's lower than Stanford. It's lower than Columbia, and it's on par with Harvard. And I think I think that has to do with all of the foo foo nonsense degrees that these universities have developed and then give out to their students. Oh, uh,
1: especially if they have like arts degrees. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so so, then they they either leave the university with very few job prospects or they're uh, forced to stay in academia where uh, they provide zero value to basically anybody but themselves. Rounding out the top 10, Stanford number four, Columbia number five, Harvard number six, uh, UPenn number seven, Amherst number eight, Claremont McKenna, number nine.
1: Claremont, Never heard of them, but good for them. McKenna,
0: liberal arts uh, college in Claremont, California. Interesting. That's like that's really interesting. I had no idea. Claremont, California is like uh, like uh, in- in- Inland Empire, Riverside County area.
1: Hmm. Obviously, you'd say it's worth doing that then. Like, I'm, there's obviously a tuition jump. Like, I just looked up. Princeton is about fifty six thousand a year meaning that like your four-year degree is going to total around 230K. MIT's is 56, Harvard, 56. And then you compare it to like, I just, school we both went to, UT is 20. So it's like, yes, yeah, so you're paying 40K more a year to go to school, but if you're going to see these kind of you know returns, long-term, it's probably worth it if you're that invested into school and a degree and everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and especially if you're getting a, a scholarship for it. Right. It's a no-brainer. But I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't know you know, how many, how many people do you know? I know quite a few who didn't go to college who decided to get in a trade and now are like general contractors or run their own business and are doing just fine.
1: For sure. Yeah. It, my, my job area specifically, like audio engineering, not needed to go to college for that. It would have been better to just hop into that trade, like right away and, you know, dive in and while you have any money that you have saved or whatever, use that to work for free and build your way up and do all these other things. it's, Spending a lot of money on college doesn't always make the most sense or, for some people. So Sure. Yeah, you bet. I do want to take this time, uh, it seems as convenient as ever, to thank the person who helped put me through college, my mother, and to also wish her a happy, happy birthday to my Sue Happy birthday, Sue. Yes.
0: A sweetheart woman.
1: Great woman. Sue is. Great, great woman.
0: Do you think your mother, Sue, whose birthday is today, happy birthday, Sue, <laughs> was a overprotective parent
1: yes I couldn't watch PC13 movies when I was 13. she stopped me from watching Rugrats, very church religion focused private schools my whole life Those
0: things are constrictive to a child's rearing for sure but they're not that's that's more that's more of like the the structure of, of your upbringing right but, but I guess what the question I'm asking is did she ever let you do things by yourself
1: Not as quick as like my dad was like my dad had a staying home even like me watching my three brothers and my sister at like a pretty young age compared to my mom that where that kind of weighted my mom didn't want to give me like a cell phone until I was like you know like 17 or so and but I did like get my car at 16 and a half or whatever like 17 and I was able to kind of do what I wanted at that point so kind of but she was definitely like if when you say that I that if she's overprotective like I yes I, I would like the feeling I get from how I was fostered is yes But I would also say that like the way that she didn't, didn't do it in a way that I was like scared of things or like on the opposite. Like, oh, you know, she doesn't want me to do this. I really want to go do that. She did it in like a nurturing, fostering way that I knew she was just kind of looking out for me. You know, maybe you don't understand. I, I know that now as an adult, maybe as a teenager, I didn't comprehend that. But as I've taken time to simmer on it.
0: Yeah, I would say my mother was similar. And uh, there's an interesting article in the New York Times by a gentleman named Camila Ortiz, who happens to share the same name as my son, which Mm. is pretty interesting. The title of this article is uh, This Simple Fix Could Help Anxious Kids. He starts the article by saying that a colleague in suburban Kentucky let his 12-year-old daughter walk two houses down to her friend's place. At the end of the play date, the other girl's mom walked her home. Just to be safe. Such excessive caution is hardly unusual. Over the past several decades, children have become less and less independent. Instead of running outside to play after school or riding bikes around Stranger Things style, <laughs> they're more likely to be indoors on TikTok or in adult-run classes and organized sports. There are many reasons for this clampdown on kids, including the birth of cable TV in the 80s, which evolved into round-of-the-clock round of Internet news alerts bringing a stream of scary news to parents. As the years went by, parents growing weary of a winner-take-all economy focused even harder on getting their kids into college. They sprang for things like tutors and travel teams, giving kids a more curated, less autonomous childhood. You can kind of see where this article is going. It's uh, not talking about necessarily the structure of raising a child, uh, but all of the things that a child is now exposed to, right? You got parents watching the news, flipping through Facebook and Twitter, seeing a lot of things that are, I mean, frankly, terrifying. Uh, The things that happen to children uh, throughout the country. The likelihood of it happening to your child is small, but that doesn't matter if you're a parent. So you, you got scary news, plus you understand the competitive nature of what the college landscape is like, what especially youth sports is like. Oh my God, it's ridiculous, especially in, in the United States. So you have all these things uh, as a parent that you're thinking of for your child. And um, the author here uh, goes on to say that uh, as kids' freedom has been going down, their anxiety has been shooting up. The Surgeon General has declared this the crisis of our time. As a society, we've been trying everything from breathing exercises to therapeutic horse grooming to keep kids from shrinking from life
1: so do you think that's like scared of the unknown so you're just scared about something and that creates anxiety whereas opposed to like if you climb that fence and you fall and it hurts but at least you know like, hey that that's the consequence of that action potentially and that helps the psyche in a way like what do you
0: yeah yeah i think you, i think you've nailed it okay. um and especially i think the the key part about that is that the, the parent isn't there
1: mm, gotcha
0: right you're making decisions um, for yourself and yeah they go on to say that we think this constant supervision and intervention could be hurting kids' chances to become brave and resilient. And a recent Journal of Pediatric article concurred. What's missing today isn't just the thrill of climbing trees or playing flashlight tag. It's that when an adult is always present in person or electronically, kids never really get to see what they're made of. Kids should have a loving, secure relationship with their parents, of course. But if you think back to a time, you were alone as a child and got lost or maybe you fell off your bike. You probably still remember what happened next. You limped all the way home or asked a stranger for help. You managed, and that was a milestone. I, I, immediately, I think about when I was riding my bike down to the store that was just down the street from our house. And for whatever reason, I, I couldn't like I couldn't maneuver my bike, and I ran into a fire hydrant. And, you know, like the top of the fire hydrant has that little, uh, like, hex nut on it, yeah. and it... It like dug right in my groin. I could barely walk. It hurt so bad. And I did exactly what this article said. I limped home, mm. right? I made myself home and it sucked, but I did it. I think I think that's what's, what the key is here is that we have so many things for us to monitor our children. And, we, and don't even ask the question, should we be monitoring our children for this? I think the answer is just always like, yeah, we should, right? We watch... We watch the baby sleep through a monitor that goes into, you know, maybe giving them a cell phone and now you have access to them 24 seven, um, put a tracker on them, you know, like you could do all these things now to make sure that you know exactly where your kid is at, at all times. Um, and that is more for the parent than it is for the kid.
1: Yeah. Right. Calming their anxiety about it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like
0: the kid's not anxious and, and, and for good reason, kids are more or less fearless and they're more or less morons, right? They, they have no idea what the world is about, but I mean, I, you know, I, I, me personally, I think people are more good than they are bad. And if you get into a situation where a kid is lost or in distress, or even, even the worst person's probably going to help the kid, right? Yeah. I, I, think, I don't know, that's, just, that's just, yeah, great. right, right. This author, uh, Camilo Ortiz, is a psychiatrist, he's a doctor of some sort, and his doctoral student, Matthew Fassman him and his doctoral student, Matthew Faustman, treated five patients ages nine to 14 who were di- diagnosed with anxiety disorder. And despite the kids' worries, it turned out that there were many things that they did want to try alone, going to the grocery store, taking the bus, or taking their, uh, their sibling to a, uh, a fair. The intervention required five office visits with the parents and the child. The kids did about 10 to 20 new things on their own each time. The result was that all five children went from saying they felt worried most of the time to saying they felt worried a little bit of the time. Now it's just five kids and it's just a simple survey. So it's not, you know, we're not, we're not solving uh, the world's problems here. But it's an interesting case study that uh, you give children autonomous tasks to do. like I mean, even just like cleaning the kitchen by themselves or, you know, chopping up some some food by themselves or something reduces anxiety on children. And I think that's uh, an interesting, uh, an
1: interesting tidbit. Yeah, that makes and sense. Definitely. And I've always even heard just like, "Oh, Hulk, be careful, be careful!" Like reacting like that can have long-term effects on on their psyche too.
0: Oh yeah, i I, a hundred percent, dude. Uh, we Camilo is now climbing stairs.
1: <laughs> that's scary days, dude. <laughs> and he did it
0: like we didn't ask him to do it. We didn't put him in front of the stairs. He just went up to the stairs one day. He was like, oh, look what I can do and uh, climbed the entire flight. Baller. And I was just like, all right, well, this, this is where we're at. And uh, Jack sent a video to her mom and her mom called back and she was just like a nervous wreck telling her all the things to do, all the things not to do and what the best way is for the baby to get down from the stairs. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like I get, I get that you're scared, but it's interesting that her reaction didn't match our reaction at all, mm. right? Because we're there, we had the control over the baby. But then, you know, if, if I were to see my mom doing that, right? If, if he's at my mom's house, my mom doesn't have stairs. But but if she did and I saw it and I didn't have control over it and I saw the, the kid yep. climbing upstairs, I would probably react the same way. And I think it's really hard when you're aware of all the danger to just take a breath and say, I trust the person that is handling this little precious child that I love. Mm-hmm. And then they continue to do that throughout their throughout their uh, childhood to say, okay, I know I'm worried. I know there's a lot of things that are scary out in the world, but I'm going to let him ride his bike to the store or to his friend's house or to school or to this, right? There was a woman in New York City and I don't know, you, you may or may not have remembered her. Uh, her name is Lenore Skenazzi. She was dubbed America's worst mom because she wrote a newspaper column uh, about allowing her nine-year-old to ride the subway in New York alone. And mm. she spearheaded a uh, free-range parenting movement, which un- unfortunately or fortunately, that's something that we have to learn how to do now, right? We we take in way too many crime documentaries. We take in way too much news. We take in way too much bad information that then motivates our decision making within our children, mm-hmm. and it looks like it could be doing them more harm than good. So, I don't know. I'm not telling anybody how to freaking raise their children or anything, but I do think it's interesting that by letting go, maybe provide your children a little bit more peace. Got to let go and let God, as they Amen, say, brother. <laughs> Amen. Um, a story that will 100% contradict everything we just talked about. Um, there's a, uh, a young man by the name of Harris Wallaba. Oh, I saw this, yeah. Harris was, is a sophomore at Doherty Memorial High School in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, got a, uh, what do they call them, a death chip?
1: Yeah, it's like the one chip challenge. The one chip it's challenge. The chips in the world.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's one chip that comes in a, Coffin and he got uh, Harris got this chip from a friend during school last Friday, uh, and after eating the chip, he felt sick and went home. And with a few hours, he fainted and died. That's crazy. The cause and manner of man Harris's death has not been confirmed by the chief medical examiner's office, but Harris's family believes that he died of health complications from eating the chip. So uh, don't let your kids do anything.
1: Really. <laughs> Stories. Everything we just said. Rewind.
0: Um, <laughs> Yeah, so actually, this is not the first time that somebody's gotten hurt doing this uh, one chip challenge. Really? Uh, Earlier last year, a California high school uh, in Lodi Unified School District um, had multiple kids sent to the hospital after participating in the challenge. Uh, This is from a spokesperson for the district. A number of Lodi High School students took part in the one chip challenge on school campus, which entails eating a chip that has been covered in pepper and hot sauce that causes the individual to react and become ill number of students were sent home and three were referred to the emergency room because of their reactions to the substance. So um, this has been well known within uh, the youth for some time. Hmm. Dr. Brett Christensen, a pediatrician at Marshall Hospital in uh, Placerville, California, uh, said, quote, not only do they cause a burning sensation in the mouth when ingested, but they also uh, do so in the throat, esophagus, stomach, lower gastrointestinal tract, and even on the way out. Mm. I know that's right.
1: Yeah, i talking about some Taco Bell on uh, a Friday evening. <laughs> a
0: spokesperson from Pocky, the maker of the chip, said, Fuck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> End quote.
0: The challenge, quote, can be fun for those who understand what they're taking on. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's kind of tone deaf, don't you mm-hmm. think? We take safety very seriously said the spokesperson and have worked hard to ensure our products are properly and clearly labeled with allergen and safety information. It is our intent that the consumers take on this challenge with a full understanding of what is and if it is appropriate for them. So I think what might've happened here is that this kid had a, a allergy to some pepper that was in this, that he didn't know about uh. Uh, that co- that caused him to be right. Because like mm. just eating something spicy doesn't kill you. Right. And, and uh, just, just because it's like the spiciest chip in the world doesn't mean that it's like necessarily like bad for you, on par with you know everything else. You I, I think there has to have been some sort of reaction here that that caused him to to pass away, and it's no it's no less tragic. But yeah, I would I would think if
1: if the U.S. government is getting involved with how much caffeine is in kid in drinks for kids and all this other shit, that like there's got to be some kind of intervention here, like it's obviously not good for your body even if it doesn't kill you to like put all that shit through your system i would think that you would you would kind of approach it from the same way i don't know
0: yeah well i think what's interesting is that these types of incidents that are a sudden onset reaction like death from eating a chip will gain momentum and start a movement mm. right where where you try and take these chips out of stores all over the country because they obviously pose Uh, a health threat to children that can be fatal. But also we allow for the proliferation of fast food restaurants that don't have that immediate impact on one's health, but are no less dangerous to children in terms of negative health impacts or soda. Or candy, or any of these things that don't act immediately. So I, just, I, th- I think it's an interesting juxtaposition. I don't think that these chips should be taken off the shelf. I think it's tragic that this one kid passed away because he took the chip. But if he didn't understand what kind of allergens that he had in the past, I mean, I mean certainly that's not the that's not the tortilla chip maker's fault. And it's. a Called a challenge because of how spicy it is. So it's you're not eating it unless you were misled. But even then, you would I mean, take one bite and you'd be like, Oh yeah, fuck this. I'm not eating this chip anymore. So yeah. it's like hard to be tricked into this. And it's also hard to misunderstand what you're getting yourself into.
1: That's true. Like if you if you drink a 25 shots of alcohol in a night and die, you can't like right. sue Smirnoff or whoever the fuck like.
0: Exactly. Yeah, or if you're gonna eat Tide Pods and die, you can't sue Johnson Johnson because they didn't make a ingestible product. It's soap. Yeah, right. So I, I mean I don't know do not I I I d I don't I don't want to victim blame or anything and I I, I I think it's really sad for this family that their son passed away because of this. But I don't know. It's I, I just think it's one of those uh those alarming
1: headlines. Mm-hmm.
0: Am I going to die? Am I going to die because I eat the spicy thing? I ain't fucking with that chip regardless.
1: Before or after. I wouldn't mind it. For what you said on the way out, I don't want to, I'm not dealing with that. Been there too many times.
0: Here's a here's a comment on this uh, article. How on earth does the FDA consider these packy chips food? Chips only recommended for adults. The one in the challenge has a Scoville heat unit rating above
1: 1 million. That is not food.
0: I, I you know, I can't argue with that. Like, Jesus.
1: <laughs> It's um, over a million. Oh my god. What's the highest wing on, on hot ones? Do you know what's the Scoville rating for the, let me see. Here's the Scoville scale from Hot Ones. They start mm-hmm. with like a red hot, which is four hundred and fifty on this on this meter. Then they go to Tabasco, which is two thousand five hundred, Cholula, three thousand six hundred, and then this it starts to get into ones that like aren't Relatively known, but you jump from 82,000, 135,000, 682,000, and then fourth from the top, or fifth from the top, is 1 million. But the highest, like, sauce that they put on their wings for that show is 9 million on this, this meter. So, 9 million? Yeah. So, if all these celebrities oh, well, are shit, doing okay. it, maybe it's not that crazy.
0: Yeah. I'm looking here, the and, and these are just these are just peppers, but um the Carolina Reaper, which is like known to be one of the hottest peppers in the world, uh it it it, it scales from one point four million to two point two million. Okay. And wow. I, I've seen people eat those raw.
1: Oh my god. You
0: know what I mean? A ghost pepper can get up to a million. A habanero can get it's
1: like half a million. What's a jalapeno? Is that on there?
0: Jalapeno's way down. Um there's a puta pepper.
1: <laughs> Usually, like, jalapenos are bad, but occasionally I get one that I'm like, oh, shit. Hits, it, like, hits you right in the sinuses. I like spicy food.
0: Jalapeno, 2,500 to 8,000 Scoville units. Okay. That's so uh-huh. why it's way down there. Yeah, way down there. Tabasco peppers, 30,000 Scoville units. Chiltapin is pretty popular in Mexican cuisine that can get to 100,000. Thai peppers, 100,000. Scotch bonnet, which is popular in Jamaican food, gets up to 350000
1: Kind Can I ask what is your favorite hot sauce, Frank?
0: Hot sauce? Favorite hot sauce? I don't know that I have a... I mean, like, a, if you're talking just like regular everyday usage, uh, can't beat sriracha.
1: Really? Oh, yeah. That I fell off on that hot sauce when I... The, really? The, the, the town that the factory was in, everyone started bleeding from all their orifices, like their eyes and their ears and shit, and I'm just I like, did hear that there, there was something. a lot of discomfort <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like discomfort for sure. Yeah. I'm sure they amended that, but... After that, I'm like, I don't know. I don't trust it. Sarah loves it.
0: I, I, it's it's so good. It's so tasty. But I do like to just try different hot sauces. Yeah, for sure. So I go to the store, and the store by us is Hannaford's. They have a really good selection. So like, I, I just bought one. I'll wait until that one's almost done, and I'll, I'll get another one.
1: I'm a big fan of the El Yucateco uh, Chili Habanero. It's like the red El Yucateco. Oh. Yucateco. It's so good, bro. It is so good. And hot as a mother. You yeah, yeah, they much. do get pretty spicy, yeah. for sure.
0: My dad used to call my cousin uh, Yucateca.
1: What does it, I don't even know what it means.
0: Well, it's like somebody from the Yucatan Peninsula. Oh, okay. But uh, apparently they're known for having big heads. <laughs> he thought my cousin had a big head, so he called it <laughs> <them> Yucateca. <laughs> it's really funny. Switching subjects entirely. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, about what they're calling Chinese gate crashers at U.S. bases. And I have an issue with the language there, but I'll, I'll read a little bit and then we can talk about it. Washington has tracked about 100 incidents involving Chinese nationals trying to access military and other installations. Chinese nationals, sometimes posing as tourists, have accessed military bases and other sensitive sites in the U.S. as many as 100 times in recent years, according to U.S. officials. The Defense Department, FBI, and other agencies held a review last year to try and limit these incidents, which involve people whom officials have dubbed gate crashers. Because of their attempts, either by accident or intentionally, to get onto U.S. military bases and other installations without proper authorization. They range from Chinese nationals found crossing into a U.S. missile range in New Mexico to what appear to be scuba divers swimming in murky waters near a U.S. government rocket launch site in Florida. Um, These are spies, not gatecrashers. I don't know why we're using such soft language here.
1: Agreed. And also, fuck swimming in murky water in Florida. Are you fucking yeah, yeah, crazy? Right. Yeah. Jesus Christ.
0: So a lot of these things that happen are like the Chinese nationals, right? Uh, here's one example is that uh, people who say that they're following Google Maps to direct them to the nearest McDonald's or Burger King, which happens to be on a nearby military base, right? So they try and weasel their way onto a military base. And if they get caught, they're just like, oh, I was trying to get to the McDonald's here. I was I just I swimming in
1: murky water. Yeah, Where's Exactly. Mc- <laughs> just trying to get exactly. a baby? Exactly. <laughs>
0: Officials described incidents in which Chinese nationals say that they have a reservation at an on-base hotel. In a recent case, a group of Chinese nationals claiming they were tourists tried to push past guards at Fort Wainwright, Alaska, saying that they had reservations at a commercial hotel on base. How does this even happen? Like, how do we even allow something like this to happen? I mean How are there even stories of over 100 Chinese nationals trying to uh, uh, grease their way onto a U.S. military base? to provide information back to China about what's going on.
1: But I mean like espionage and spies have never, that's not new. Russia did it to us for years and probably still is. And I'm sure we're doing it too. You know, we've got to be, <laughs> okay. we're not.
0: Well, sure. It's not, it's not a new development, but I mean, just how brazen and easy it is oh. for them to get onto, into these areas. Right. Right. Like, and, and, I don't know, maybe xenophobia is a, is concern enough to use a a term like gate crashers and saying these Chinese nationals are spies, right. And and create a scare with all the Chinese people that are in America. But like, there's also stories of students at high ranking universities and even professors who turned out to be spies for China. So it's like, where do you draw the line, Mm -hmm. right? What's more important here that we don't hurt the feelings of Chinese people. That's probably a good thing that we don't hurt the feelings of Chinese people. But on the other hand, when uh, Chinese nationals have been found taking pictures at an, a U.S. Army range and missile sites and rocket launch sites, it's like, eh, well, you
1: know, I mean. Yeah. Do you know, is that, is the Freedom Act or whatever it was called that happened after 9-11, is that still in effect? Like, can they still tap and listen to us and do all that shit
0: i am sure that they can i don't i mean i don't know but like yeah i've not heard anything for me to believe that they don't
1: i would say that's like the best way for them to control and monitor that without like enforcing like discriminatory policies like after 9-11 you maybe a lot of people did but like it's not fair to assume that every like muslim person or like middle east person you run into is a terrorist you know that helped coordinate that attack you know so it's like we can't i don't think as a country we could think that way towards chinese people obviously
0: right or that every japanese person was uh the enemy back in the 40s right yeah uh, but the, and, and that's how we acted because we were scared and we had no no other means to to making sure that there was not a, another attack on u.s soil so we interned them right not a good move
1: but i would say that i'm i'm not as opposed to like that patriot act i think is what it was called being like around in a way to like monitor that stuff i don't know i guess it kind of is still racism if they're like specifically looking at chinese people while they're doing that but like if that's the that's probably the best way to like protect america as a country from being infiltrated
0: it it was just a couple months ago that we talked about the eight or so different chinese police police stations that were headquartered in the united states
1: what we talked about that we didn't talk about this. Was I sleeping? I don't, we might have. I don't, I don't, we talk about a lot of shit, so. There was like
0: eight that were found in the United States. This was in April. Here is from the Hill. Most Americans think of the Chinese Communist Party only as an external threat, but as demonstrated by the recent arrests of a Chinese spy based in Boston, the Chinese communists op- also operate on U.S. soil. The Boston case is hardly an exception. Last month, the Department of Justice indicted two New York residents— Liu Jianwang and Chen Jingping, for conspiring to act as agents in the CCP's Ministry of Public Security for obstructing justice and destroying evidence of their communications with the Ministry of Public Security. The two were operating a M- MPS secret police station in Manhattan's Chinatown neighborhood, which was aiding the CCP's transnational repression by intimidating and threatening Chinese dissidents. According to the assessment, at least 102 known or suspected overseas police stations are currently active in 53 countries. The real number is undoubtedly high. Higher in the U S stations have been identified in New York, Los Angeles, Houston, San Francisco, as well as smaller cities in Nebraska and Minnesota. So they have police stations in the United States to spy on their own citizens that are living in the United States. Mm. Hmm. I I don't have a solution. I'm just saying it's not good. They're operating as as if they're back home and someone gets caught and somebody else is going to bring up the rear. And that's why these, these gate crashers, as they are calling them, are, so, uh, are seen as so mild because if they get caught, all they got to say is, I was lost, or I was doing this, or, you know, they, they have plausible deniability all over the place, and, 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 you know, I think somebody got popped for like a year in jail. That's it. Wow. so That's surprising. Anyways, uh, something to look out for, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. There is an article in the Wall Street Journal, again, about tribalism and why it took over our politics. And it's not, it's not necessarily, uh, I think, what you're thinking when you hear a title like that. Uh, it has way more to do with how our political climate, helped by our leaders, is due in large part because of our hardwiring as human beings. It goes on to, you know, it, it starts talking about Donald Trump, and he, he uses this line a lot. I kind of agree with it sometimes, but I also can see why it would be exceptionally inflammatory. When he was arrested in Georgia... He said, in the end, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. Mm-hmm. So he is now implicating all of his supporters in his indictment. So when Donald Trump is indicted, they're all indicted. <laughs> that's really bad. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't need to spell out why that's bad. That's really bad. But at the same time, there's a little kernel of truth to that. I'm not here to talk about that. But uh, it also, I mean, it, 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 they, they don't just single out Donald Trump. They talk about Biden- I don't know if you remember, he gave that speech in Philadelphia with uh, like Secret Service next to him and the building behind him was a little bread and he gave that really like like angry speech. I don't know if you remember that. but um, He called all MAGA Republicans extremists and accused them of trying to destroy our systems of government, right? Like not great, like, not great thing to say if your goal is unity, but it turns out, shocker, the goal isn't unity. In 2022, 62% of Republicans and 54% of Democrats had an unfavorable view of somebody who was in the other party, which means that at our best, 54% of Democrats think uh, unfavorably of, of, their, of their counterpart Republicans. And only 21% of Republicans and 17% of Democrats Thought the same in 1994. Essentially, what it's saying is that we have grown so much to dislike those who we perceive to be our political enemies. But that that even even saying political enemies that doesn't make sense to me because we're not politicians. Right? We, like what is it? What is it that we like, like? Ideological opponents is probably a better phrase to use there.
1: Yeah, but now you have the battlegrounds of social media, and it's like your for a lot of people like your. older people like your political support system whatever like kind of a lot of them like becomes their identity so then it's it's you're defending one party or the other and you remove like who that person is and maybe your physical in-person interactions with them and, and now it's just my opinion versus your opinion online and who can make the other one look like an asshole And then you have someone like Trump who like further throws, you know, gas on that fire or, you know, Hillary Clinton or Obama, like whoever it's been historically, you see it snowball to what it is now where it's like you're this or you're this. And, you know, if if you're a liberal and you're, you know, way out there and all you want to do is just help people and you don't give a fuck about money and, and all these systems that don't work. And if you're... Conservative, you're, you know, you hate black people, and you, you're. I, I, I don't know. It just, it seems like that's what it's become now. It's like there's no. Well, middle and, ground.
0: Uh, according to this article, the the human brain, in many circumstances, is more suited to tribalism and conflict than to civility and reasoned debate. So it sounds mm. like what had happened was, as there was the proliferation of social media and the differences between the parties became much clearer than they were before. Right, the, the characteristics of what it meant to be Republican or Democrat, uh, the lines were drawn v- much more sharply so that we could see wh- where you stood, that politicians fed into that. And it turns out that we engage and uh, react far more to that type of behavior than we do. Hey, how can we get along? What's the, what's the middle ground? What's the higher ground? Where can we both advance? Uh, where we have an understanding of each other. Um, you win some, you lose some but you live to fight another day. That seems to have been thrown out altogether. And there's some interesting demographics that follow this. Non-college white and religious Americans increasingly identify as Republicans. Non-college educated white folks and religious Americans increasingly identify as Republicans. While Democrats win most non-white voters and a majority of white people with a college degree. I think that's interesting. So, one hand is Republicans, non-college educated and religious. And then you have non-college educated white and religious Democrats, non-white plus white college educated. Seems, I mean, it makes sense in my head, but when you, when you zoom out, it's like, well, why is that? Right? There's interesting questions. Mm-hmm. To ask. Instead of going to the voting booth and asking, what do I want my elected representatives to do for me? They're thinking, if my party loses, it's not just that my policy preferences aren't going to get done. It's who I think I am. My place in the world, my religion, my race, the many parts of my identity are all wrapped up in that one vote, except that they're not. That's the thing that we're missing. It's not. Presidential election doesn't, does not affect you the way that you think it does. I mean, like even in the in the least, does it affect you in the way that you think it does? And you might say, well, Donald Trump got Supreme Court justices elected. They struck down Roe v. Wade. It's like, okay, yeah, they did that. But what does that mean to you? Well, it, d- it matters where you live. And that's why, I mean, that that's the answer right there. It matters where you live. And if you want to get involved and you want to be so politically charged the way that we all are and not be involved in local politics, then I think- that you have absolutely no say in anything because it it all boils down to what's happening on the local level. More than 60% of Republicans and more than half of Democrats now view the other party as very unfavorably. About three times the share when Pew Research Center pulled on it in the early 1990s. Several polls found that more than 70% within each party think the other party's leader are a danger to democracy or back an agenda that would destroy the country. Now think about that for a second. Over two thirds of each party believe that the leader of the other party is not only a danger to our democracy, but has an agenda that would destroy the country. I mean, come on like that. That's bad. I mean, I'm even guilty of that, right? Like I hate what Joe Biden has done. I do think that Joe Biden... (laughs) Is a danger to our overall democracy, and I do think that he has an agenda that is slowly decaying the country. I feel like I have data points to back that up, but this article is, is pretty much calling me out. And, and 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 why am I so special to think that my viewpoints or the the information that I consume is better than anybody else's? Mm-hmm. For me personally, I think it boils down to boils down to politics being the choice that is in front of you, not the choice that you want. You may want a lot of things, but your choice is Joe Biden, right? Well, the American people showed that Joe Biden, the choice in front of them was better than the alternative, right? So it's tough. It's tough because because now I'm, I'm having to stand here and say, okay, now I need to take a step back because I am now part of the 70%. I can't think wholesale that I'm right. Even though I feel like I am a little bit more informed than most people, that's besides the point. This article just called me out for being part of the problem. Now I have to make sure that I'm not part of the problem and hopefully find some common ground here. I'm going to share my screen with you right now, show you some graphs.
1: I like graphs.
0: Okay, let me read this real quick. A 2013 study by Yale University put 1,000 adults, they're self-described liberals, conservatives, and moderates, all together in one group. And then they gave them a politically inflected math problem to solve, presenting data that pointed to whether cities that had banned concealed handguns experienced a decrease or increase in crime. In the controls and in, in the tests that they gave them, half of them solving the problem correctly using mathematics showed that a concealed carry ban reduced the crime rates. And the other half, the correct solution using math, would suggest that a crime that crime had risen. So there's a right answer for half of these scenarios and a right answer for the other half of the scenarios based on the mathematics that had to be done. These are fictional scenarios. But the results showed something very interesting. The more adept the test takers were at math, the more likely they were to get the correct answer. But only when the right answer matched their political outlook. So if you were more prolific mathematician than the next person, then you were more apt to getting the question right. But only if that question went along the way that you thought about gun control. When the right answer rang contrary to their political stance, that is when liberals drew a version of the problem suggesting that control, c- gun control was ineffective, they tended to give the wrong answer. They were no more likely to solve the problem correctly than were the people in the study who were less adept at math. Wow. Essentially, Interesting. ideology, idealism makes us stupid. It causes us to lose our faculties And to choose the answer that we want to see. And that that is like the most basic human thing I've ever read in my life. Here are some graphs that show the share of Americans who identify as either conservative or liberal, ranging from 1975 to 2020. Uh, In 1975, it looks like it was roughly 30% or so that identified as conservative versus 25% that identified as liberal. And now... Going from 1975 to 2020, it looks like in 2020, we kind of met at a point, right? We're all kind of meeting at a point and then boom, we go off into a separate direction and the the graph just opens up. Isn't that amazing? Are you seeing this? Yeah, wow. So we come to a point and then boom,
1: we go so far
0: in the other direction. Yeah, it's wild, man. I'm trying to see if there's any other point in history that that this has been like this.
1: I, I would also think that in like the election that had the most votes ever, you would see that graph switch. Instead, it still shows more conservatives than Democrats. You know what I mean? But, like, they they had the most votes of any presidential election ever, so it's really weird.
0: This is a graph that shows who identifies as conservative by party affiliation. So you could be a conservative Republican or a conservative Democrat. I know that the latter kind of seems like an oxymoron, but about— 25 or so percent of Americans considered themselves conservative Democrats in 1980, but that's slowly declined. Uh, so that as we get to 20 1995 ish 2000, 1995, uh, we begin to see that's that gap widening and, and, and Democrats who self-identify as conservative has, it looks like, I don't know, maybe 10%, maybe less, uh, in 2020, whereas as Republicans who identify as conservative is 75% or more in 2020. Now, we flip that and we say share of Americans who identify as liberal by party affiliation. And again, in 1975 or so, there's 20% of Republicans who consider themselves liberal Republicans. And about 30 or so percent of Democrats who consider themselves liberal Democrats. And the gap stays pretty much the same until about 2015. I'm, I'm sure this is in correlation with Donald Trump's uh, election to presidency. Uh, and and liberal identification is pretty much now married to being a democrat. Where over 60% or so of democrats are considered liberal, where it looks like less than 5% or so of republicans identify themselves as liberal. Again, with religion, I think this is another interesting one. A share of Americans who identify as strongly religious and there's a big mix between Republicans and Democrats pretty much until you get to 2000 or so. And then that gap begins to widen pretty heavily. Whereas now only 30 or so percent, just over 30 percent of Democrats consider themselves religious and just over or just under 50% of Republicans consider themselves religious. Share of white Americans without a four-year college degree. This is another interesting one. There's a good mix of white Americans without a college degree until about 2015. And then it seems like in 2015 onward, so this is like millennials basically graduating college, right? The share of white Americans who identify as Democrat and don't have a college degree, went down below 30%, whereas Republicans are are going closer to 40 45%. And then white Americans who do have a four-year college degree take that exact same graph and reverse it. Democrats, right around 2015, begin to separate themselves from Republicans and, and who has a college degree and who doesn't. So I think essentially what this is saying is that we're really more divided than we've ever been and the data proves it. It may not even be our own fault that this is the case.
1: On that last graph, what what do you think about the argument that, like, a lot of Democrats will make that, like, all the most college-educated people tend to, you know, vote Democratic? And, like, the smart vote is Democratic because these people have gone to these four-year colleges. And the idiots that didn't go to school all, all vote Republican, which is what we just saw. What, is there truth to that at all? Like. Or do you think that's more like a fostering of the school system and ideals, ideologies that are put into their head when they're in college that kind of like start to make them think this way, you know, is their vote better because they went to a four-year college than a dude that got into the trades and is, you know, high up in the, in, in the rankings, a tradesman within an electrician or something?
0: I think it's the second one. I I don't think that there's really any, you're, you're certainly not a smarter, more savvy person just because you went to college. You may, you may gain those skills in college or you might just skate through like the majority of people do in college. Mm-hmm. But regardless, you're still going to be exposed to heavy liberal ideas, attitudes, ideologies. And if you have no backbone, no structural backbone of critical thinking, then you're going to be very malleable to the ideas that are on campus. And I, and I just think in general, younger people think more with their heart. They think more pie in the sky than do older people. I'm the same way. I mean, coming out of college, I, I think I was just about as liberal as it gets. I, I I but I also had no clue, and I knew that I had no clue, and I knew the things that I wanted to see happen. I knew I had no idea how they would happen. I just wanted them to happen, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I'll, I'll put my vote or my energy in, in in this in this area and just hope it all works out. Because I had that same feeling, and now I don't because I decided to inform myself. I can't help but think that almost all. People who come out of college who are liberal-minded don't have any better idea of how we get to this utopia than I did when I came out of college. So I don't think that there has—I don't think it grants you any special intelligence or knowledge unless that's what you went there and, and sought and, and obtained. Uh, but even then, to make a, to make an informed decision on who to vote for or, or what party to align yourself with, I, I think it has everything to do with the like the liberal leftist leaning ideology that is rampant in college rampant i mean there's no i mean I, is there a conservative university notre dame maybe
1: yeah maybe, yeah
0: you know I, I can't i can't think of another i mean all of them lean lean left so yeah I, I think that that has more to do with it than anything good answer
1: i like it well frank <sighs> that's it we that did is
0: it my friend we are through another swell.
1: episode It's great to hear you back clearly, man. I can't tell you how much it's... As an audio guy, it's bothered me.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. For all of you that suffered the past two weeks for me sounding like this, I appreciate you too really nice of you to uh, weather the storm with us.
1: Oh, if you guys ever want to shoot us an email with any questions, comments, concerns, you can shoot us an email over at bummerdude.media at gmail.com You can find us on Twitter, at FriendshipNH on TikTok and Instagram Friendship News Hour and we'll see you next week. Hell yeah!
0: Bye!